In this episode of Expect Exception, Toby and I talk to Tim Seckinger, one contributor of the delightful JavaScript testing framework Chest. He tells us all about the past and the future of Chest, including the updates for the current version 27. He gives us an overview of all the great features of the testing framework. I'm Anessa, your host. Have fun! Welcome to episode number nine of Expect Exception. First of all, if you hear a loud thunder that's outside of my window and I hope it will survive here. <laughs> uh, apart from that, I want to say hello to Toby, who joins me on the show today. Uh, hello, Vanessa. Glad to be here. And as a guest, we have Tim. Hello, Tim. Hi. Uh, yeah, there is also thunder here. Uh, it just started. Um, so you might hear thunder from all directions, unfortunately. But yeah, I hope it'll be fine. <laughs> sure, this is real life adventure podcasting. So how are you? And want you tell um, our audience a bit about yourself, who you are, what you're doing? Yeah, sure. I'm Tim. I'm a JavaScript software engineer for, well, a couple of years now. I'd consider myself full stack, although I do mostly front end, just because typically, at least at the moment, I feel that uh, most companies need front end engineers more. So that's how it usually turns out. I've been a contributor to adjust the testing framework, which this episode is about, for a couple of years now, a bit on and off, uh, just depending on how much time I have, because it's all in free time. Yeah, that that was that's definitely one of the more more fun parts of being a software engineer working on tools like Jest. And um, yeah, looking forward to talking a bit about it. Yeah, great. So you already started to talk about um, the OSS part of it and that it makes fun to work on projects like these. But before we hop into, I know there's also a Chest version 27 now, and I'm very excited to talk about this. But before we get into the history and the current version and the working in the open source community, can you explain in a summary what Chest exactly is? Right. So Chest is a test runner but let's say a, a hev heavyweight one compared to uh, the likes of Mocha or Tape. It essentially comes with the, f the full feature pack of all things you may need while testing JavaScript. So for example, out of the box, your tests are already being run completely isolated from each other and in parallel. So that you know every CPU core you have uh, can run one test at once, um, so that they complete as fast as possible. Just also has some sort of fa fa fairly unique features that test runners before Jest didn't really have. So Jest was the was essentially the testing framework that popularized snapshot tests, which is a kind of testing where You you take your assertion and basically let just generate the expected value for you. If you've never used the used this feature, um, it might sound a little bit weird to you. Like, what, like why would you do this? You 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 should uh, <laughs> you should know ahead of time what the expected value should be. And the reason is for why, why you would do that is basically just you if the if you if the value has very complex structure uh, like an object with many fields to it it might be annoying to type out and that way you can just let that part be automated and visually verify it so that is one feature that many people know know just for yeah and uh, in the early days just was kind of considered a front-end test testing framework but these days really um It's, it's not marketed as such anymore, and I also feel like people aren't really using it as only that anymore. It's, it's become the dominant testing framework uh, in the JavaScript and TypeScript ecosystems. Yeah, that's, that's roughly what Jest is. <laughs> yeah, great. I thought that with the snapshot was already a very good point. Do you think it might be confusing for people to understand what is a unit test, what is a snapshot test. I'm just thinking about, I saw some 
analytics data or similar that some tools have like 2000 unit tests and 50 snapshot tests, for example. But in chest, so when I think about it, when I test a component that, for example, I do one snapshot test in this component, but I also do some other tests, for example, if the function returns the expected value. Do you see problems with understanding the two different approaches? Or would you even say that they both are unit tests and there is no difference? Well, yeah, I, I, don't, view, uh, I don't view it as a separate category, really. A, a snapshot is, is a kind of assertion. And I, I, would, I would recommend viewing snapshots really just as a helper to make writing a to equal assertion easier because really you don't want your you you don't want to sort of abuse snapshots for snapshotting a huge 20 line structure that you would kind of never really be able to fully review and that also just kind of encapsulates so many implementation details so much more than what you're actually trying to test so much more than what the what the name of the test case actually says it's testing like that snapshot with 20 lines would change all the time, even if just little details that don't really matter for the test case changed. So really, I would say like, if the snapshot would be practically impossible to, uh, to, to write in a two equal instead, it's probably not a good snapshot. And I view it really more as a helper to make working with two equal um, quicker. And that has become especially easy now that we have had for for years now um, inline snapshots, which sort of which I use by default. So just to explain that real quick, uh, in the in the first versions of snapshots in in Jest, what Jest would do is it would write the the value that you are snapshotting, it, it would serialize it and write it into a separate file next to your test file. And that kind of makes it, that just kind of takes it out of the text, test context a bit, which is annoying, especially when reviewing code, reviewing this, the snapshots in the code. But these days, uh, Jest has inline snapshots, which I wish were just called snapshots now, and the others were called uh, external snapshots, because really I think inline snapshots should be the, the, the default method. And in that case, when Jest runs your tests, it will just write the snapshot value straight into a test file, so it, it looks almost like it looks almost like two equal, just that it says to match inline snapshot instead. So yeah, I would recommend viewing snapshots as a as an alternative to the two equal assertion, and I wouldn't really say that that it's a kind of test category at all, like unit tests are. I had to smile when you said like a huge snapshot test, like 20 lines. I think I saw snapshots of over 100 lines of tested HTML code. And then there are, I guess, two kinds of developers. The ones that see all of the changes in the files in all of the single snapshot tests when a CSS class, for example, has changed and really go through all of the single changes to really make sure that all of them are correct and that is like a i don't know a pull request blocking state for hours and there's the other kind of developer who just says i oh, you know what i changed the css class it will be fine update the snapshots commit and push <laughs> um do you have an example of a good snapshot at the back of your head right now yeah yeah many actually T to be honest most like by far the majority of snapshots I write are actually single line in that way, like often strings even. In, and in that way, very, very similar to a two equal really. Um, so one example would be, yeah, if you're testing on DOM elements that you're rendering in your front end, then I would suggest Having test having test cases for each of the sort of the important aspects for of what your component does, and let's say it uh, let's say it accepts a prop, and depending on whether that whether that prop is there or not, it renders something in green or in red. Then a snapshot could be 
taking the color from that CSS and uh, just snapshotting that, which is like a single line saying RGB one, two, three or something. A non-front-end example would be like maybe sort of log statements or like output that 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 the command line process writes, for example. Um, that that would also be an example where a snapshot might make sense because it's it's kind of hard to the output could change slightly, right? Um, and still mean the same to the user, like the sentence that you're printing could be rephrased or something. So that's why you might want snapshots to make it easier for you to see, okay, it, yeah, the the structure of what it printed changed slightly, but it still looks fine to me. Okay, update it for me. Or um, often, actually, a solution I would prefer over snapshots is actually something like regex matching, which also kind of gives you that not testing in an overly specific way so that your test breaks with every single legitimate change even. So not not test not testing like two equal uh, one concrete value uh, and not even letting snapshotting do essentially the same thing for you except in an automated way. Um, but using reg regexes can often actually help make the tests very help make your test very stable and prevent it from from breaking all the time so that is often a, an option that i would consider before even um considering snapshots another a final example maybe of where i frequently use snapshots is uh in combination with mock functions so when a mock function is called with certain certain arguments i might snapshot all of the arguments or some of the arguments um, that that is another typical example, but as you as you can see, these will all be generally be very very uh, tiny snapshots, and that is because, as you Vanessa have said, if the snapshots get too large, then it becomes hard to actually manually review them, and you risk that people will just stop reviewing them. Both both the people who actually sort of cause the 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 snapshot update won't really review the whole thing anymore after it's written or when they commit it and the code reviewers as well and also like with a big snapshot the the other thing is manual reviews or looking through changes in a snapshot should ideally not even become necessary because you want to avoid encoding too many details in the snapshot so if you if you have a sort of Te tests using regex or if you sort of introspect like a dom structure and only pick out very specific elements in the tree or even look at only the texts uh in in the dom elements or something like that instead of a huge snapshot then ideally you can sort of change the structure of the dom slightly or change some css properties or some IDs or class names or something and just not get a red test at all. Ideally, manual reviews, well, not 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 having these huge snapshot tests not only helps with manual reviews, but it, it can also help avoid manu having to do manual reviews. Um, that's the other side of it, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked now a lot already about snapshot testing and uh, Tim, uh, in your introduction about what is Jess, you also talked about that Jess is kind of heavy weighted compared to Mocha and Tape, for example. So maybe you could tell us a bit more about other features, like you already mentioned mocking, and also a bit about the history of Jess before we come to the newest version, the version 27. Sure. So... One of the one of the other things I already mentioned was um, isolation and parallelization. So when you have state in your modules, um, and especially also like state in in the in the DOM. Uh, so in in the case of when you're running tests in in Jest, uh, you're offered the option to have a virtual DOM environment, which is not rendered by a browser it doesn't do like layouting it doesn't even have a full css engine or whatever but it sort of provides the basics to be able to render in a dom environment the implementation of the dom is called js dom uh, so just to explain that real quick 
but yeah often like the dom is a candidate to have state in as well like you've put some elements in there and in the head maybe of the document uh, there are some leftovers that and any module state or just will just automatically prevent it from making tests brittle because because every test file gets its own completely separate environment um, and practically cannot escape from it um, and cannot affect other tests so like things like tests being run in a different order will not cause different results and having that isolation of course is also what enables parallelization so when you run tests with just by default all but one of your CPU cores will be used to each run a separate worker process, which each runs one test at a time. In in watch mode, so watch mode is what you use. I'll, I'll get to that feature next. Watch mode is what you use when you while you're developing often which kind of on every change reruns the the effect the tests based on the the file that you saved um in in watch mode uh, just also does that uh, uses like half of the cores to sort of keep you keep the rest of your system to your your editor on and so on responsive so that's parallelization the watch mode is also actually quite a quite a distinctive feature i i would say because the watch mode is also quite feature rich. So in watch mode, you get like a command line interface that allows you to press all kinds of keys to tell just to only run tests matching a certain pattern in their name or tell just to start a run with all test files in your project or to start a run with only the change test files in your project. Um, and there's even a plugin system for the watch mode where many people have created amazing plugins as well that allow you to, I don't know, for example, if you have a fancy multi-project setup, then there's a watch mode plugin which allows you to toggle on and off some of your projects while you're in watch mode. So you often never really even have to restart just you can just keep it running in watch mode all the time and just press a key every now and then in that command line interface so yeah watch mode is also a quite distinctive feature of just that i haven't seen in many other places i would say you mentioned mocking mocking is also one where just being like yeah the the sort of heavyweight batteries included solution has enabled it to deliver some features that others ha hadn't so far because just actually also controls the runtime of your tests some things that usually no js would would do um, so for example module dependency loading so when you make a require call to load another module just actually handles that and node not the normal node.js as you would expect that allows just to for example offer you the option to just swap out a module completely which is a very very nice and easy way of mocking so you're mocking at the module boundaries essentially and just yeah replacing one module replacing one file with another one completely in your tests when you're mocking it that's also a very nice feature that has made a lot of people's lives a lot easier when it was introduced yeah, so yeah sorry vanessa just wanted to say pretty awesome to hear all about these chess features because i can only talk for myself but yeah, I'm using Jest on a daily basis and just don't think about what is now so Jest specific or which other features other test runners doesn't have. And yeah, just hearing about it, you just realize how many features are just included that makes your life easier uh, in testing day by day. So it's just awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. I also use Jest. Uh, on the daily basis and I haven't really tried out or played around with a lot of other alternatives and I also just the watch mode is for me like like standard is it that I started in watch mode um, I also run it just locally on my machine so I don't have now problems with docker that I need to tell docker okay the files have changed so make the watch working again I also use heavily actually the coverage mode of chest 
to actually also sometimes find out if I have tested everything or if there's something I missed. I know that a hundred percent test coverage doesn't always say so much about how really well your uh, code is tested, uh, but I still use it because it still can tell you, okay, you have completely forgot to test these kinds of branches in your component. Yeah. Are you using the coverage mode as well? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, co coverage, just built-in coverage support. You, like most people will literally just have to pass a flag when running Jest. Um, that, that's also a really useful feature. There is, um, and, and okay, to, to get to your other point maybe, um, yeah, coverage is only one indicator and it definitely doesn't, even 100% test coverage uh, could still mean you're testing the wrong things or you're, you're testing too specific or not specific enough. It just says what code was run, not what assertions were made. What, what, I, what I have found that usually, there, there is actually an interesting indicator, I think, which I haven't, I haven't really done like empirical studies on, of course, but what, what I usually find interesting is um, projects where the difference between the branch coverage and the line coverage is very high. And by that, I mean the branch coverage is much lower than the line coverage. Uh, those projects uh, do tend to have a lower overall test quality, whereas if it's at a similar level or the branch coverage is even at a better level, then uh, the, the, the test quality tends to be higher. So... Like if if you if you give if you give me two projects and tell me what, which one I want to work in and the only only thing you tell me is one has one has ninety percent line coverage and ninety percent branch coverage and the other has ninety nine percent line coverage and ninety percent branch coverage I'll probably actually pick the former <laughs> because that to me that's a that that's actually a better sign even though the overall numbers are uh coverage numbers are worse uh it it hints to me at what the test quality might be yeah but that that makes sense right so if i want to have a high line coverage that's not a complicated thing to achieve so oftentimes i basically only have to mount the component and already a lot of the files uh, lines are met especially if i don't use shallow mounts but if i really use mount, use mount and also run through the lines of all of the child components i will use but the branches are sometimes the the important things like the edge cases the special cases the empty cases that i also don't see so often in reality when just working on the page because for example i don't work with a local state where i don't have users so i can't see uh, on my website okay there's a bug If I have an empty database and the, the page just breaks because it tries to render the first name, but there is no first name in the database. And so if these branches are also not tested, then maybe just it was a, a lazy testing to, to get green quickly. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good description of, of how, it, how it usually looks. There, there was, by the way, one thing I, I, I wanted to mention, I, you, you did also say say something about other other test runners there is one worthy mention i would i would say so it's not like jest is the only good test runner for javascript these days there is actually ava which uh, back in i don't know 2015 or something had quite a head to head race with jest actually for for popularity And it also has a lot of the features that Jest has. It also has snapshot testing. It also has parallelization and isolation. Um, and there are some things that I envy that that I envy Ava for actually. So, for example, their their API, the way they do, the way you specify test cases and the way you make assertions, um, is in my opinion much better designed. But yeah, some things are hard to change in retrospect especially if you've only got a team of volunteers. Yeah, Jest is uh, definitely not not the only good testing framework uh, these days. But yeah, the ecosystem has def definitely sort of um, 
sort of agreed on it as a standard and it's just it's it's become very dominant now um and i i think it's it's still overall good it, it has um yeah it has held up well uh, as time has passed so talking about volunteers and a, another topic of the history not from a technical perspective but um, as far as I know, and also because it's written just uh, at GitHub for the GitHub Chess repository, um, it's under the scope of Facebook. So how much is Facebook evo involved or um, what's the story behind it? Mm, yeah, um, so there's actually some talk going on about moving it into a Jess community organization. I don't know if for sure if that will happen. The status is okay. Let me let me give give a bit of history, uh, which is I think something I I wanted to do anyway. Just in some form dates back to like two thousand and nine or so. It's well, it, it's before my time, so I can't even uh, give you the exact any exact dates or whatever but at that time it was um, a thing that was internal to facebook and it also looked very different than it is today in 2013 i believe roughly uh, just was open sourced um, but was still practically only useful for facebook but then what happened is facebook invested in it a bit because Even at Facebook, it was not very popular. It was not very liked. Uh, and people were, well, people were not writing enough tests because of it as well, be because the framework was so bad. <laughs> well, so bad sounds overly negative. I, d I don't know how, I don't actually know how uh, how bad it was back then, but apparently not, not as good as it, it could be or should have been. And so Facebook put uh, one full-time engineer on working on Jest. He's called Christoph Poya at the time. Uh, now he's uh, he has a different last name, uh, Christoph Nakazawa. Yeah, so he worked on Jest full-time for, let's say, two or three years with other engineers joining him occasionally. So he's not, not the only one, but definitely the main contributor at the time. Over the course of a couple of years, he essentially wrote, rewrote most parts of Jest. And that led to Jest's becoming, well, much more uh, pleasant to use and, and also led to Jest becoming or, or Jest getting adopted by large parts of the JavaScript ecosystem. First, as I've mentioned before, uh, f first, mostly front-end engineers but later also other JavaScript engineers led to it being adopted outside of Facebook as well. Yeah, that's kind of the, the, the history. The, the, the status since then has been that there have been occasional contributions from Facebook, not so much anymore in the two or three years, in the last two or three years, not even really big occasional uh, contributions. It's become very rare, and uh, it, it was otherwise maintained by a team of volunteers. Name worth mentioning here is um, Simon Beckus, who I would consider the the maintainer essentially of Jest. He's quite uh, prominent on on GitHub in the JavaScript open source world in general. Once you've seen his profile, you'll see him popping up all over the place in various sort of Yeah, in, in various in the Node.js repo or in various projects that are kind of essential to the backbone of the of the uh, JS infrastructure. But yeah, he he's been the maintainer, and people like me have had less time to spare on it. Um, but yeah, still um, did kind of the main work on some of the bigger features. And but but from Facebook side there hasn't been much activity, um, and that's that's been the case for quite a few years now. And yeah, it's it it does kind of uh, on the one hand uh, it it does kind of feel and it may seem from the outside that it's kind of like 
yeah, just just is now feature complete. It's maintenance mode or whatever. Uh, me knowing all the big issues and all the big things I would like to improve, I would heavily disagree with that. There are lots of things that that would, in my opinion, need like a rewrite or a completely new API um, or something. But yeah, right now uh, there's there's uh, not much investment from Facebook going into it, and also very very little time on the volunteer community side. So that's that's the current status, I would say. From the current status from that to the current status of chess, because I'm just so excited to talk about it. What's in it for us in chess 27? What happened between 26 and 27? And how bad are the breaking changes? <laughs> well, for, first of all, uh, they, they can't be, be bad because they're, they're uh, made for a reason, right? <laughs> um, yeah, totally. But yeah, so, well, as always with the last couple of releases, at least, it's become tradition that there's a blog post accompanying the release. Yeah, you, you will be able to find that easily online, uh, the blog post for Jest 27, which is called New Defaults for Jest 2021 Edition. Uh, the reason for that is that there was actually a New Defaults for Jest blog post many years back for Jest 15. The, the main things mentioned in this blog post, so the main things that changed in just 2017, are, first of all, we've introduced a interactive fail test mode, sort of. So we, we already had an interactive mode in watch mode where if you have failed snapshots, you can go through them one at a time, look at them one at a time and decide whether you want to update them or whether something actually broke. That now also exists for fail tests in general. Not So if, if they're not just snapshots, but just any fail tests. This is cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Obviously, you, you can't just press update to fix it. <laughs> So you will have to go and, and fix it manually. But yeah, that's that's one feature. Re regarding uh, snapshots, actually, um, I was, I've already talked about inline snapshots earlier. It used to be that you could only use them if your project also uses Prettier, which is a code formatter. The reason for that was that basically just would, would obviously just would be putting things into your, into your test files, writing values into your test files, and to be able to print out your test file again with the values written in it, it would need to sort of decide on what the formatting of the file should be. And the easiest implementation at the time was to just say, okay, projects that use Prettier just have defined, well-defined formatting. We'll just print it out, formatted by Prettier. Now, with just 27, this is no longer a requirement because there is now a somewhat more sophisticated implementation that will kind of yeah do figure out the indentation and everything on its own and just keep the rest of your file intact and only touch and only touch the places where it matters. So that is also a nice improvement. Um, this has been in the works for long. I think the PR open was open two years or something. Um, and this was something that I was involved in as well. Um, and the reasons why it took so long are uh, complicated. Yeah, I, I feel like these days is actually, I'm actually less excited about the feature because Prettier has become so dominant. And most of the people will be like, okay, cool, but I use Prettier anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, two, two, I think two years ago, I, I actually uh, ha still had to work in a project every now and then that was not using Prettier. These days, you don't see that see it that much <laughs> anymore, um, but I'm sure it will it'll still be useful to some people. Yeah, so uh, that's some non-breaking new features. You asked about uh, breaking changes, uh, Vanessa. The main breaking changes we're making here are changing default configuration essentially so one of the big ones is that we're changing the or we have changed the the default test environment from the dom environment to to the node environment 
And the reason for that is that the DOM environment is very, very slow. Uh, you, you get a huge overhead for even just, if, if you run a test file that literally just asserts that one, one plus one equals two, but you run it in a DOM environment, it's like 10 times slower or something to kind of spin up that DOM environment. And the problem is that many people, given that just, is no longer used mainly for front-end. Many people are unknowingly loading this DOM environment all the time, uh, even if their app does nothing with the DOM anywhere whatsoever. And they're just having a huge performance penalty without knowing it. And so that's why we're change changing this default. And if you want the DOM environment, you have to set it explicitly now. This can also, uh, that's a feature that existed for quite a while, it can also be set per test file. And also, hopefully, many people are actually using tests, using Jest not with their custom written configuration, but with, for example, the Create React app setup. Um, and in that case, mm -hmm. these things won't even, you, you won't even see that anything changed because it's just abstracted away from you. That is one of the defaults that has changed. The so-called test runner, which is the thing that kind of implements the describe and it and before each and so on, the, the functions that the helper functions that you use to structure your test file. The implementation of that has been swapped out for a more lightweight and more um, flexible and pluggable one. For most people, hopefully, won't make a difference, but it does come with some subtle breaking changes regarding execution order in specific cases. Yeah, that, that's another change. Another default change is fake timers, which is also a very nice feature of Jest that wasn't mentioned before, which is kind of essentially mocks things like set timeout and the date global. Well, now it mocks the date global because we've also changed the implementation of that to one that has, well, less bugs and also mocks more things. For example, using new date and date.now will, will now also behave as you would expect when you have mocked timers. So yeah, that's another one. Also comes with subtle breaking changes if you have tests using the, the old fake timers behavior. And again, can be... Uh, configured to use the keep using the old ones for now globally or or everywhere you use them uh, individually and then there are some miscellaneous breaking changes to prevent uh, to prevent common mistakes that you can read about in the blog post yeah and i think that's a good enough overview of just 27 uh, was already quite long um and the yeah the blog post uh, provides a good almost full reference well a full reference of the of the significant things and then there's of course also the change log but that yeah can get quite technical and quite uh, detailed and in-depth uh time so yeah i would recommend uh, reading the blog post uh, when you are, when you would like to upgrade to just 27 yeah just one quickly to mention kudos again to the fake timers of the new modern fake timers implementation because I'm still uh, know how the old way was, how you can mock the global date and the new, I think it was released in just 26, the new way to do that is just so yeah easy and uh, also a bit more understandable than mocking the date constructor and spying on it. Yeah, and, yeah. This, was kind of hard before. Yeah, the, the the credit for the implement for the actual implementation goes to the people at Sinon, which is a a mocking library yeah uh, the sign on fake timers are what's being used now and yeah there's just a, a sort of a small layer of just integration but all the implementation of the actual like the behavior of date and set timeout and so on is is theirs we make sure to link the blog post also in the show notes so but that sounds you have also a lot of future plans what you still like to change and work on and improve um, yeah, I, I've, I've touched on that. There are some things that have been on the list for quite a while, but that are difficult to find for anyone to find time for. The way you configure Jest, if you have to configure it manually at least, can be quite confusing. 
well, one example is that there are all kinds of file paths or file path patterns that you specify to tell just where to look for things, where to ignore some things. And uh, they are sometimes globs and they are sometimes regexes. The names can also be confusing and also don't give you the information of whether they're globs or regexes. So there's a lot of inconsistency there. Some other things are wrong with configuration as well. Like it's very uh, complex to, to uh, when you have a multi-project setup, it's very complex to understand or and also not very well documented which things you can configure per project and which things you can configure globally. So yeah, um, reworking configuration is definitely one thing that would be helpful. Uh, what else would I like to see changed? Um, I've mentioned that I envy Ava for some of the APIs that they have. Um, it would definitely be nice and it would actually be I think fairly easily possible in a backward compatible way to introduce APIs that rely less on globals like the ones that Ava has. So that, that would be a cool feature as well. And also I've been thinking about in most uh, JavaScript test runners and also test runners in, in some other languages, we've had this structure of before all, before each, after all, after each, describe and test for a while. With the with the hooks, the before and after hooks, I think they, that API is actually no longer state of the art, I would say. So there's also a, an issue somewhere on the issue tracker that uh, I was involved in at some point discussing that it would be nice to have a API that looks more like, if you know React, that looks more like React's use effect, where you kind of you don't say do these do these things before and do these and then separately do these things after the test but you have more of a more of a setup and a cleanup that is associated with a setup and so an api so yeah there are some proposals in there for an api that would allow you to avoid for example having to declare um to like declare a global let variable, let some variable, then then writing it in before all, then, I don't know, resetting something in after all, accessing it from the tests to kind of make that kind of thing easier. Um, so th that's something that I've been thinking about as well. And yeah, there are lots of... Um, Lots, lots of, uh, lots of things I'd like to um, see. Uh, some, some things just is very modular. Some modules just are in need of a rewrite. <laughs> Overall, the architecture is still fine. I think it's held up well. But yeah, some things could definitely use a rewrite. Yeah, um, that, that's why earlier I mentioned that I don't really, uh, I wouldn't really consider it. Uh, <laughs> consider just feature complete for the near future where there are concrete plans, what what you can definitely expect is par in part because it's a sort of a process that we've already started and it's all and also because it's not uh, a huge amount of work that depends on people having the time for it. So, something that you can expect in the next majors of Jest is as a follow-up to changing defaults, for example, from JSDOM to Node, kicking things out of the main Jest dependency graph. It turns out JSDOM is not just very slow, it's also very big. <laughs> Some people do have problems with the install size of Jest, which is, yeah, I don't even have the numbers now, lots of megabytes just by installing Jest. I feel like that's sometimes a, a divisive topic. Some people will just not care about install size at all, but some will care very much. Kicking some things out of the main dependency graph and um, and requiring them to be installed separately, such as the DOM environment, is a thing that can be expected in the next Jest majors. Obviously, again, if you use something like Create React App, you might not even notice uh, when it happens. But yeah, that's for like more than more than near term future and less the long term dreams of what could be improved. <laughs> I didn't hear it from Chest actually, but from Cypress, the problem with the install size. Um, for example, some skeletons, I don't know how Create React Rep is doing it, but I know it's from Svelte. 
and that it also comes in the skeleton or in sepa from Swelt, in, in the, that it comes with the Cypress package not installed. Uh, so it's not in the dev dependency Cypress and a lot of people then enter the issue, hey, you forgot to add Cypress and they were like, no, no, <laughs> just install it globally. That's okay. Yeah, yeah the, the messaging around it definitely needs to be good. Um, fortunately, what Jest already has is um, actually detect... So like already if you are running if you are running tests in a node environment but you probably wanted to run them in a, in a dom environment because you're trying to use the document or something just already has good error messaging for that um so Mm -hmm. that's true that's true that happened to me and that it was a very very good error messaging yeah so that'll kind of just need to also include like you might also need to install it first or it could probably even figure out if you have um uh, maybe but um but yeah that that messaging probably just needs to be slightly updated um which i'm sure will do <laughs> okay so so we talked a lot about just today. So maybe for our listeners who haven't had yet a chance or were not quite sure why we should use Jess, could you describe in one or two sentences why you would suggest that people start using Jest? I would say, well, I, I mean, to be honest, I would say just just try it. I, I like you don't have to try it on the project that you're working on right now um try it on a small pet project and i think your the the command line sort of the command line watch mode being such a nice experience um looking so pretty in the command line um and trying out the mocking for example which is mind-blowing if you don't if you have never used it before I think those those things will just uh, <laughs> convince you if you've never tried it before. <laughs> it's that, that that's that's yeah, it, that's probably. I, I think it's it's a tool that that speaks for itself. <laughs> awesome, cool. So Vanessa, any questions from your side? Whether still open? I have or a lot are of you, open are, are you totally sold out on chess? <laughs> no, I, I was already sold out on chess, so uh, he didn't really <laughs> had to convince me, but. If I wouldn't have been convinced, Tim, you actually did a great job and I would now be hyped and tested out, but I already was. Um, I still have a lot of questions, especially regarding the working in the open source community and especially like what kind of questions you get. But I know that the time reaches already a level that I might even not want to listen to a podcast if there's like over one hour. So I also don't want to have it for our audience. And I hope that we can schedule another episode for that. So therefore, I don't have any other questions right now. Cool. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, was a lot of fun talking about these things. Yeah, sure. So I can just only say thank you for providing us all of the information. What we still have prepared are the picks. So guests first, Tim. Do you want to tell us what your pick for today oh, is? Oh, yeah. Um, so. Just picked the the very last um, piece of piece of software that I started using, which I started using because I have a new laptop from two weeks ago or so. And that piece of software is ZFS, the Open ZFS impl implementation. And ZFS is a file system which, if you come from, as most people do, if you come from either Windows with NTFS or Linux with X4 being the standard, or I don't even remember what the AFS is. I think the the Apple one, the macOS one, which are just you know they do files. Then trying ZFS or even reading about it will probably be a quite a revelation because it as it turns out file systems can actually do more things that are useful to you. So for example. Um, ZFS provides snapshotting, so at any time you can create a very, very cheap snapshot of your file system and revert to it uh, if you're, I don't know, like upgrading your whole system or installing them some new software or changing a lot of system configuration or anything. Also supports RAID levels natively, supports transparent compression and encryption some things which you may have used other tools for that are just 
that just come with the file system. And yeah, I've used it for two weeks now and uh, so far been been very happy with it. It's been very stable as well. I'm on Linux, so I'm not exactly sure how the how the situation is for the other operating systems as far as ZFS implementations are concerned. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting th- thing to read about if you've never really thought about what file, what else file systems uh, could do. Cool. So Vanessa, do you want to go first? Yeah, thank you. Um, I have something completely non-technical. It's a mat for cats. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of expensive and electric and other weird things for cats to play. But this one is a simple interactive mat um, where you can pull the mat in a way that there are holes inside. And if you have cats at home who are really bored and try to wake you in the night at 4 a.m., I can totally say uh, buy one of these mats for like 30 euros or something like this and your cat will have something to play instead of waking you up. Toby, what's yours? Yeah, maybe I should get one of these mats for my cat. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I will go to the technical direction again. Um, and I really love using my keyboard to yeah, to command applications and all of that stuff. And one thing that was kind of annoying for me is uh, using the browser because, yeah, I can learn all of the shortcuts, but if you look at tools like VS Code or even the Chrome DevTools and all of that, they all, all of them have the command palette. And there is one browser that has the command palette. It's uh, Vivaldi, but I'm not so an Opera fan, so Vivaldi is kind of not my favorite browser to use. So I've looked up for other things that kind of do the same thing uh, so that I can yeah, um, change the tab or close the tab or, I don't know, control my whole browser through a command palette. And yeah, there was one workflow for Alfred. So if you're uh, used to macOS and Alfred is kind of like the fancier spotlight. So um, I think on Linux, where, yeah, on Linux, where several similar implementations and built-in things like that. And yeah, with this um, advanced power pack workflow, you can just control the whole, or this workflow will just scan the Apple file menu in the top and bring Alfred the possibility to just select one of the uh, menu entries and do it via a simple enter button. So you can control whole applications now via Alfred, and that's kind of cool for me. Awesome. So you can find all of the links to our different picks in the show notes, as well as the chess repository, the chess website, and the great blog article about chess 27. And I think also a link to Ava, if you haven't heard about this before. And so with that, I can um, say thank you again, Tim, for being a guest on the show. I hope we will hear us again soon. Thank you also, Toby, for joining me. And with that... We hear us again the next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, Expect Exception, and follow us on Twitter using the handle Expect Podcast. Leave us a message if you have a topic that you want to discuss with us or have feedback or anything else. And for a 35% discount on all Manning products, use the code POTACCEPT20 on Manning. You can find the link in the show notes.